0: good, boys and girls? 2 footed podcast on Wednesday, the 27th of April, brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geoblocked from, while also keeping your data safe. So for example, if you're a UK expat and you want access to BBC iPlayer or you want to watch a Sky Go subscription abroad, Liberty Shield can help you do that. If you're an Irish expat and you want to watch Orte player, again, Liberty Shield can help you do that and keep your data and personal information safe from the miscreants and the ne'er-do-wells who hang around on the internet looking for victims. Check out libertyshield.com and use the code EPL25, EPL25 to get 25% off at checkout. Hardware package is a router which is sent out to you. It's easy to install. Software package is instant download to your devices. Get using straight away. 24-7 online tech support. Five-star ratings on Trustpilot. Can't go wrong with libertyshield.com. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the code EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks. We had a bit of a belter last night in the Champions League. Now, let me start by saying I've never seen Edder, Edder Middletown. Play that badly. I promise you, if you haven't seen him before, don't judge him on that one performance. He is generally a good defender. Last night, he was a train wreck. David Alaba has been one of the best defenders in the world for the last decade. And last night, he was really poor. He went off injured, so maybe that was affecting him. Real didn't get out of the traps at all. City flew out and within two minutes were 1-0 up. It's good work from Riyad Mahrez. It's a good cross into the box. De Bruyne a in. It is absolutely abysmal defending by Danny Carvial. I highlighted him yesterday as the weak link in that Real team. And we're going to be talking with Danny Carvial quite a bit as we go over this. That's rudimentary, fundamental fullback play to spot that runner and come across And attack that ball. And somehow he lets De Bruyne cover three times as much ground as he covers. De Bruyne beats him to it. It's a brave header. And it beats Courtois. 1-0. Second goal. Foden travels down the the left wing. Militao goes across to, to meet him. Holds him up. Foden plays it back to De Bruyne. Danny Carvial. Standing in absolute no-man's land. He hasn't dropped in to cover at centre-back. He's not playing at right-back. He is just in the middle of nowhere. Should be pressing De Bruyne to put pressure on that ball and force him backwards. Instead, gives him all the time in the world to pick a pass into the box. Now, David Alaba gambles and tries to get around Gabriel Jesus. He gets a touch on the ball, but all he actually does is killed the pace on it, take himself out of the game and leave Gabriel Jesus with a simple tap in for two for two nil on eleven minutes. City continue to just pile forward, and they're carving rail apart. Riyad Mahrez gets in on the right hand side. Now, there's been some discussion over whether he took the right decision. So it's a 2v1 situation. You've got Mahrez breaking on the right. You've got Foden breaking on the left. Both converging on the penalty area. Mahrez has the ball. Carvial abandons Foden to come across, which is the first good thing he's done all game. But he's not getting anywhere close to Mahrez. Now, some people have said, Maris should have passed the ball. The one thing Carvial does is he blocks the passing lane to Foden. It's easy to look at a still of the incident and say, well, Maris could have manipulated the ball around him with his left foot, a little bit of backspin, and put it perfectly in front of Foden to walk onto and slot home. It's another thing to come up with that idea as you're sprinting at full pace in the middle of a game. So takes the shot on right-footed and hits the side netting. Foden then gets in on the left, but drags his shot wide. City could be 4-0 up, but then Real start to play a bit. There's a good half chance for Vinicius Jr. where maybe he would have been better off trying to feed the ball back to to Kareem Benzema. He took the shot on and took a deflection and went out for a corner. There's another corner that Benzema takes short, gets it back and whips in a deadly cross that Alaba gets his head to and really should score. So in those two situations, it could have been 2-2. This game is bananas. City are all over them. City are dominant. They're tearing them apart. But Real have still had two good chances. And then Real score. Ferland Mendy's cross, a left-footed volley from Benzema. Absolutely lethal. He'd barely been in the game. And all of a sudden, it's 2-1. And City started to look really shaky defensively. John Stones was forced to go off. Fernandinho has to come on at right back. Now, initially, Fernandinho impresses it right back. Because he's got good positional awareness. He's got good aggression. He's good on the ball. He's got good energy. He gets right up into Vinicius. He starts to cause him some trouble. He's pushing him back. He's not allowing him to turn and get running at him. So halftime comes. And this game could be anything. It could be 4-1 to City. Or it could be 3-2 to Real. In the end, it's 2 1 to City. It's one of those games that doesn't really make any sense where one team is comprehensively better than the other, but the other team are finding weaknesses in them, and you're not taking your chances. Come out in the second half, and it's 3 1 City on 53 minutes. It's really good work by Fernandinho. It's a good cross. Danny Carvial. Once again, rudimentary fundamental fullback play get tighter to your centre backs ball comes across massive big gap carvial standing out having a scratch or whatever it was he was doing reacts far too late foden is drifting into the six yard box with nobody close to him simple finish for foden carvial all oh, at sea But then two minutes later, Fernandinho not being a right-back catches up on him. Simple ball played down the line to Vinicius on the halfway line. A proper fullback probably lets him take it under control and then tackles him and knocks it out for a throw-in. Fernandinho tries to tackle him. As he goes to control the ball. Except Vinicius doesn't try to control the ball. He dummies it. Spins. Ball goes through Fernandinho's leg. And Vinicius is away. And he runs in completely unopposed. No City player can get back to him. He runs from the halfway line. All the way to City's six yard box. And no one gets a foot in on him. And he slots it home. Past Ederson. 74 minutes. City go 4-2 up. Bernardo Silva. There's a shout for handball. Some players stop. Among them, Danny Carviel. <laughs> You're the nearest man. How are you not getting closer to get anything on that shot? How are you not closing that man? You're just allowing him a free at goal from 14 yards. It's a hell of a hit. It really is a hell of a hit. It gives Courtois no chance. Courtois doesn't even know if he sees it. I don't even know if he sees it. But Carvial has got to get closer. He's got to get a challenge in. It's absolutely abysmal. On 82 minutes, the ball into the city box, Laporte jumps, Laporte handles. It's a penalty. Benzema steps up and goes the Penanca route. 4-2 down in a Champions League semi-final. The guy missed two penalties against Osasuna the other day. And he steps up and does that. Insane. Insane. In that second half, Mara's missed another good 1v1. Maras hit the post and it bounced back to Foden, whose shot was blocked, I believe, by Danny Carvial. So credit to him for that. The only time in the entire game he was in the right position. City could easily have scored seven, eight. But at the same time, Real could have scored four, five. It was a bizarre game of football. City had 16 shots, six on target. Rail had 11, five on target. But my thought on it last night was, this is about as good as City are capable of being going forward. There's not a whole lot more to come from them going forward. But Real, I mean, Cruz had a stinker. Rodrigo had a stinker. Alaba was garbage. Militao was garbage. Car- Carvial was An abomination. Modric didn't play particularly well. There's an awful lot more to come from that Real Madrid team. So I said yesterday, I think City would win last night. I think Real will go through. I still feel like that. I still feel like City having to go to the burnabout is really, really tough for them. Now, I know Chelsea went there and ran up 3-0. But Real were quite arrogant going into that that game. I think we'll see more along the lines of the Real that played PSG. I think Camavinga has to start that second leg. Now, they will have Casemiro back. Casemiro will start the next game. But I think Camavinga needs to start as well. I think he needs to push Valverde potentially into the front three. I'd probably leave out Tony Cruz, go Modric, Casemiro, and Camavinga, with Valverde being sort of the fourth midfielder who s- supports the attack. Let Benzema and Vinicius work against that City defense. Now City could well have Kyle Walker back, but John Stones getting injured last night doesn't bode well for that moving forward. Because that's another player out. They should have I think they have Canseo back for the second leg as well. But defensively, he doesn't help. Zinchenko was excellent yesterday. Put Rodrigo in his pocket, was involved in a lot of good attacks. So I, I don't know that Canseo improves on what Zinchenko offered last night. He would improve on what they got at right back, except that defensively, he's not any better than Stones or Fernandinho at right back. Will be interesting to see what Ray will do at centre-back in the next game. Nacho came on, didn't have a great game, but was better than the two who started. Alaba should be at left-back. The problem is they've also got Ferland Mendy, who's good. Can one of them go and play right-back for a game, just one game? Because Danny Carvial is a painful watch. A really painful watch. I don't think Real will be as bad as they were last night. That was a Real were not good last night, and they still scored three. City were really, really good and only beat them by one. Now, in part, that's down to them missing a bundle of chances, but are they guaranteed to create that many chances again? No, definitely not. One of the big issues for Real last night was the decision by Ancelotti not to press uh, Rodri. They were pressing De Bruyne pressing Bernardo and seemingly happy to let Rodri have the ball with Cruz just standing off him. So with Valverde, you could have him, when City have the ball, dropping in to push on Rodri and then breaking to the right when Real turned the ball over and get possession back. It might be your only option. You've got to do something different. You've got to do something different to what you did in that performance. Interesting to note that the uh, £100 million Jack Grealish was just left on the bench last night. Didn't, Didn't even come on as a sub. Champions League semi-final. A £100 million player, the most expensive player in English football history. Not even called upon. It says quite a lot. It really does say quite a lot. Uh, Tonight, we have Liverpool versus Villarreal. Obviously, Villarreal are the surprise package in this year's Champions League. They came through the group with United, Atalanta and Young Boys. They finished second, two-man United in that group. Lost both games to them. Had to beat Atalanta away in the final group stage game to sneak through. No sneaking after that, though. Went to Turin, beat Juventus 3-0. Knocked out Bayern Munich. They've they've earned the right to be here. They're a hard-working team that are really well set up, really disciplined, well-organised, well-coached. They'll have a very strict tactical game plan that they'll want to stick to. And that will be to limit the amount of opportunities Liverpool have to defend set pieces really well. They'll be happy to go home with a 1-0 defeat or 2-1 defeat. They'll be thrilled with the draw. They're not coming to win the game. They're not coming to win the game. They're coming to draw or spoil. All they want is to get home with an opportunity to win the tie. That's the only thing that will matter to them tonight. So you're going to see some negative football, nice deep block, couple of buses. They won't go the full at levy. There'll be no trenches dug. There'll be no barbed wire. No fire pits. Nothing like that. Just some buses. Maybe some memes of the rock with his hand out. Telling Liverpool to stop. Who knows? But it should be a good game. Liverpool will be pretty close to full strength, all depending on Bobby Firmino's fitness as to whether they're missing anybody at all. The hope would be that Klopp will go Quieta, Fabinho and Thiago in midfield with Salah, Mane and Diaz as the front three. Canate in at centre-back next to Van Dijk with Trent and Robertson flanking them and Alison Becker in goal. That is Liverpool's best 11. That is the 11 most suited to playing against a deep block. Liverpool's big issue at the weekend against Everton's deep block was not the midfield. It was the fact that Trent had a stinker and Luis Diaz wasn't playing and Diogo Jota offered nothing in that left-sided role because he wanted to play centrally. Sadio Mane had a poor game. Salah had a poor first hour before he started to open up was also interesting to note that when Klopp wanted to make a change, that change wasn't Jordan Henderson. It was Divock Origi and it was Luis Diaz, mostly Luis Diaz. But bringing those two on is what changed the game for Liverpool. Going 4-2-4. And I do wonder if he might consider going 4-2-4 tonight. But we'll wait and see. He might have a surprise up his sleeve. He might go Salah right, Diaz left, Jota and Mane through the middle. Fabinho Thiago double pivot could be a lot of fun. Villarreal aren't the team that will punish you for being so attacking, they're not a team that has great pace on the counter attack. Danjuma is quick, but that's about it. La likely plays behind him, he's not quick. Pareo's not quick, Capuay's not quick. Togeres, if he plays instead of uh, instead of and he's not quick. Serge Aurier could come in on the right wing. He's quick enough, but he's not lightning quick. You're not going to worry about him. He's a powerful runner more than a fast runner. It's stupid on the left back is quick, but I don't know if he's going to be allowed to cross the halfway line, considering he's going to be marking Mo Salah one way or another. Pau Torres and Albiol aren't quick. Van Foyt Van isn't quick in, in terms of a fullback. Largely because he is a centre-back playing at full-back. But they're a good team. That They're good players. But they're not the type that can really hurt Liverpool unless Liverpool give them opportunities to hurt them. Liverpool should dominate the ball. They should have the lion's share of possession, the lion's share of territory. They should have the majority of the good chances in the game, majority of the set-piece opportunities in the game. Villarreal haven't conceded from a corner this season. Liverpool score more goals from corners than anybody else. So that's one to keep an eye on, especially if Ebu plays Champions League Ebu, scoring goals against Benfica and against um, Man City in the, in the FA Cup. Just has a taste for goals in big games. So maybe Ebu turns up tonight with a goal. Should be fun. 8 pm kickoff. Available from the usual outlets. Best of luck to anyone listening to it on BT with Steve. Yep, 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 yep. McManaman offering his wonderful insight into the beautiful game. There was football in the championship last night. What a time to be alive. Scotty, two coats brought his Bournemouth team to Swansea. Went 3-0 down. Joel Perot, who's having an unbelievable season, and will likely not be playing for Swansea next season, gets two. Cyrus Christie gets a third. It's 3-0 up to 72 minutes. But then Kiefer Moore pops up with two goals and Dom Solanke with the third. Well, Moore scored first, then Solanke's penalty, and then Moore scored in the last minute to snatch a draw for Bournemouth. The problem here was that Swansea went two up and just thought, right, that's it, job done. Sat back, managed to catch them once, uh, but then just invited so much trouble and so much pressure. Really poor management. Is it Russell Martin that's there now? Really poor management of the game. There's no excuse for ever being 3-0 up and end up drawing 3-3. Uh, I, I If it was me now, I'd be having him in for a word this morning and letting him know. Considering Swansea are 14th and considering that last season they finished 4th, and the season before they finished 6th, that this is unacceptable. Especially when you've got a player as good as Joel Perrault. To be 14th, unacceptable. Uh, The man who got them 4th last year and 6th this year is the man who is threatening, threatening to deny Scotty Two Coats and Bournemouth automatic promotion to the Premier League. And that is Steve Cooper, of Nottingham Forest. So Forest last night beat Fulham 1-0 in Fulham. Fulham thought they were just there to roll over Forest and then get their trophy. Instead, they got beaten 1-0. Uh, Zinkernagel goal on 15 minutes. That was it. That was all she wrote. Forest did what Forest do. Defended well. Counterattacks. Played at pace. Now Mitrovic Missed. At least one absolute sitter. If you're being harsh, you could say he missed two. Uh, Bryce Samba made a couple of good saves for um, Forrest as well, but there was also a couple of instances in which Forrest blew fairly good chances. Brennan Johnson set up Sam Surridge for one where he should have scored, but Roderick made a good save. For Fulham, there is three points between Bournemouth and Forrest. Bournemouth have 79, Forest have 76. They both have a goal difference of plus 30. Bournemouth have scored two goals more. Forest have conceded two goals less. And they both have three games left. So in game one, Bournemouth travel to Blackburn. The Blackburn are seventh, and Blackburn are still pushing. For a playoff spot. So that's going to be a very difficult game. Forest, they play Swansea at home. And if they can keep Joel Perot quiet, they should win that game. On the final day of the season, Forest go to Hull. Hull are 18th. They're safe. Nothing to play for. Probably could be on the beach. Bournemouth, on the other hand, they play Millwall at home. Now, Millwall are currently eighth, three points out of the playoffs. They may well still be in a position, considering they play Peterborough next. Millwall have two games left. They play Peterborough first and then Bournemouth. If they beat Peterborough, they could be in with a shot of qualifying for the playoffs. So they're going to have reason to pick play in that last game. Reason to give it everything they have. Sheffield United currently own that last playoff spot, but they're away to QPR and then at home to Fulham in their last two games. They're both difficult. Millwall have a real chance. Blackburn have a real chance. They get Bournemouth next, and then in their last game, they go away to Birmingham, who aren't very good. So they know they can overhaul Sheffield United. So they're two really difficult games for Bournemouth. Whereas Forest have two more straightforward games. And then the one game extra is against each other. They play each other in their middle game. That game is Tuesday, the 3rd of May. It's a rescheduled game. And it is now a game on which potentially promotion lies. Now, if Forest can win their other two games, It's possible that a draw here is enough for them. If they win those other two games and draw here and take seven points, it's not outside the realms of possibility that Bournemouth lose one of the other two games. I actually think they will lose one of the other two games to either Blackburn or or, or Millwall, in which case they'd have four points from the last three. Forest would have the better goal difference and Forest would go up. Steve Cooper has done an incredible job and it's been talked about a bit. I've talked about it a bit, but not enough people are talking about it. Not enough people are talking about what a job this guy has done. He took over when they played eight games. They'd won one, drawn one, and lost six. They were 24th in the league, bottom. They were bottom of the league. Six defeats in the first seven. Then they sacked Chris Houghton. They beat Huddersfield 2-0 away with a caretaker manager, which, let's be fair, it amazing result considering Huddersfield currently sit fourth in the division. They've had a really good season. They're a good team. And from there, Cooper just got them rolling. I said when he took over, this is an incredible appointment. And it has been. They and Fulham have been, by a substantial margin, the two best teams in the league since he took over. And if he'd taken over in the summer, and they displayed this level of form from the first game in August all the way through, We may well be talking about them as the championship winners. They're only 11 points behind Fulham and they had that horrific start. If we look at Fulham's season, how many points did Fulham have after eight games? So Fulham, after eight games, had 16 points and Forrest had four. So 12-point gap. There's an 11-point gap now. And Forrest have a game in hand, which is against Bournemouth, admittedly. But win that, it's an eight-point gap to Fulham, draw a 10-point gap to Fulham. They've matched. They've actually outdone Fulham over the last... 38 games and Fulham have been excellent. Like, let's not pretend Fulham have stumbled and fallen the way that they have lost their last two, admittedly. Um, no, it's a win and a draw on their last two, isn't it? It's a win and a draw on the last two, or defeating a draw, defeating a draw on the last oh. two. They drew with Bournemouth and lost to Forest, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, they still they have outdone Fulham over the last 38 games, and this is a really good Fulham team with a record-breaking striker in Mitrovic, a good defence, a good championship-level defence, led by Tosin Adabiero, who might be the best defender out of the Premier League right now, other than Joe Worrell, of course. And um, yeah, the only bad thing about Forrest coming up is now, now what players will I pedal to Premier League teams? Because Brendan Johnson will come up, Joe Worrell will come up, Scott McKenna will come up, in all likelihood, they'll then keep Jed Spence. Let's Spence, Brennan Johnson, and, and Joe Worrell are three of my go-to guys to pedal to Premier League teams. I'm going to have to find new players to replace them. But I really like this Forest team. I really do. And if they come up, I, I don't think they have massive spending needs. They have some, obviously. Like they'll definitely need to add one centre back. They've got a couple of players on loan that they'll need to make permanent. So right now, they've got Zinkernagel on loan. I, I, I'd imagine they'll try and make that one permanent. Um, They've got Max Lowe from Sheffield United. They might want to keep him, though he doesn't necessarily start every game. Um, In fact, he he doesn't necessarily start most games, but he is a good player, and he's someone that can do a job for them. Jack Hallback has been starting as left wing back, so that might be an area... uh, Low is injured, but that might be an area that they look to address and upgrade. If you look at the team from last night, I'm not a huge Bryce Samba fan, but he's a decent keeper. I'd still be looking for someone better than him. Could you get Dean Henderson on loan from Manchester United? If you could, he's ideal. Worrell and McKenna, absolutely fine. You're going to have to upgrade on Steve Cook. Now, you can either do that by moving Worrell centrally and buying someone to play on the right of the back three, or you can just buy someone to play in the middle of that back three, but you need to upgrade on Steve Cook. We have seen Steve Cook in the Premier League and he's not good enough. Jed Spence, absolutely good enough. Need that left wing back. Yates is very good. I I do like him. He's had an impressive season, Ryan Yates, and he's only 24. I think there's another level for him. James Garner has been a regular starter for them next to him it'll be interesting to see what happens with him could he go back to United is the games from there if so they'll need a central midfielder I think they keep Zinkernagel they'll have Johnson they'll have Surge. they need one more on attack they need a striker central midfielder centre back left back and goalkeeper it is to be fair it is a lot But you can attack the loan market here. Like I said, Dean Henderson could well be an option there in goal. Could you get Jamal Lewis on loan from Newcastle to play on the left? Possibly. Ryan Sessnion, maybe? If you're playing as wing-backs, Ryan Sessnion would make sense. The centre-back will be key but maybe they dip into the championship. Someone like Dicky from QPR could be a good fit there. And they'll be able to find a striker. They will be able to find a striker, someone that can come in and offer them, you know, more of a focal point attack. But right now, their attack is based on movement and quick interplay, and it works really well for them. They'll be fun if they come up. I don't know if they'll survive. We'll have to wait and see what they do in the transfer market. But I think they'd have less to do than Fulham would. Because when I look at the Fulham team from last night, need a goalkeeper, need a centre-back, need a left-back, need one in midfield and one out wide. And I think they probably need more depth than Forrest do as well. And they've got to replace Fabio Carvalho, which is not going to be easy. Not going to be easy at all. So the championship is shaping up for a really good finish. Fulham are up. We know that. Welcome back. But Bournemouth or Forest for second. And then the other goes into the playoffs with Huddersfield, with Luton. And then with one of Sheffield United, Blackburn and Millwall. It looks like Borough have just, well, to be fair, To be fair, Borough have a game in hand. Now, they are five points behind Sheffield United, but as they went over, Sheffield United have a difficult run in. Borough have three games left. Cardiff at home, Stoke at home, and Preston away. Cardiff are poor. Preston aren't up to much. Stoke are decent, but could well be on the beach. They've got nothing to play for. They can't come up. So they could be on the beach. So... Maybe Borough aren't quite out of it, but they're in a terrible run of form. They've lost three and drawn two of the last five. There are some teams that are just soiling the bed right now. And Bournemouth, to be fair, are one of them. Bournemouth are on a really poor run. And you know my feelings on Scotty Two Coats. I wouldn't be be a fan of the man or the manager. But there's no excuse for him. If he doesn't come up with that squad, if he doesn't come up, I don't think he's there next season because they've won one of their last six games. Automatic promotion should have been wrapped up weeks ago for them. But when you look at what they've spent and who they have there, Macondas came in on big money in the summer. Um, They brought in Gary Cahill on big money, Ryan Christie on big money. Now, big money for the championship, obviously. Uh, Spent quite a bit on Jamal Lowe. Broad and Robbie Brady, decent money there. Then went out in January, James Hill, Dembele, and Kiefer Moore, all expensive signings. Big-time loans for Leif Davies, Morgan Rogers, Ethan Laird, Nathaniel Phillips, expensive loan. Freddie Woodman, expensive loan. And Todd Cantwell, expensive loan. So there's no real excuse for Scotty Tucholks if he doesn't come up. But Todd Cantwell's an interesting player. When's he out of contract? Oh, next summer. Next summer. Bournemouth have an option to buy if they get promoted. Um, At the minute, it's not looking good for them. It, It really isn't. They're not playing well. And their manager doesn't seem to know how to change things. So we'll wait and see, but I, I think Forrest right now look a better bet to come up considering the run-ins. Forrest just look like a team with lots of self-belief. And while Bournemouth have only won one of their last six, Forrest have won, have won eight of their last nine. They lost away to Luton, who are a really good playoff team. And they've beaten everybody else they've played since the middle of March. Reading, QPR, Blackpool, Coventry, Birmingham, West Brom, Peterborough and Fulham. Good teams, bad teams, Midland teams. They've beaten them all, except for Luton. But Bournemouth are dropping points left, right and centre. Bournemouth have only won four games since the end of February. Four games since the end of February. Six draws, two defeats. So they've taken 18 points from the last 12 games. And Forrest, from the last 12, taken 29 points. So that shows shows the work Cooper has done. It also shows the collapse of, of, Burma, uh, of Bournemouth in this late stage of the season. Uh, anyway, Steve Cooper, unbelievable job. And there's a lot of Premier League clubs who should be giving him a close look including one who play in blue on Merseyside. If by some miracle you stay up and Forrest don't come up, you should be ringing them immediately after the end of the season to ask for permission to speak to Steve Cooper. You should be telling Frank Lampard to take himself back down to London like a good lad. He's too far north. The air doesn't suit him. He's become delusional. He thinks he's a good manager again and you should be going for Steve Cooper. And any other Premier League club, considering making a change, not any other Premier League club, but any sort of bottom half, I suppose, Premier League club, considering a change in the summer, should also be looking at Steve Cooper. Last summer, obviously, we had quite a lot of managerial change. I don't expect anywhere close to that this summer. but. You know, if Burnley stay up and Forest don't come up and Burnley haven't appointed a permanent manager by then, Burnley should look at him. Uh, Leeds have got Marsh, Villa have Gerard. Don't see any change at Palace. I think Vieira will stay. I, I don't know that he'll have offers to go, but, you know, I think he'd stay anyway. Uh, Southampton, we could see a change, but it'll depend on Hasenhuttle. He'll decide if he wants to stay or go. Uh, Brentford will be the same Thomas Frank could go if he wants to he might fancy a new challenge somewhere else but if he's happy to stay I think they keep him don't imagine Graham Potter leaves unless he gets offered a better job in the Premier League Uh, he certainly won't be be dismissed Leicester could open up but at the same time I think that might be a step too far for Cooper at this point uh, Newcastle won't change, Wolves won't change, and none of the top six will change unless Conte walks on Spurs. Leicester, Brighton, Brentford, Southampton. Any of you who decide to change manager or, or have to change manager, Burnley, give Steve Cooper a call. Give Steve Cooper a call. Guy just knows how to win. He's just he's just a really good coach. He's a really good coach, a really good tactician. The other manager I would start to pimp around is Ange Postacoglu, who's done an amazing job at Celtic. Absolutely phenomenal job at Celtic. But I'm kind of hoping he sticks around a couple more years. He is just, the football that they're playing is different class. And if Celtic beat Rangers this weekend, um, they will be as good as crown champions. There's an enormous gulf in the goal difference. They only need one point from the last three games. It will be over and done with. Uh, we'll take a break there. When we come back, there's a few bits of news, I think. And there's the gossip. And we'll be done nice and early for today. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, uh, there's actually not a whole lot of news. Um, Ronald Arejo has agreed to a new contract with Barcelona. He'd been linked to a couple of Premier League teams. Uh, Contract till 2026 with a €1 billion buyout clause, same as Pedri and Ansu Fati. Uh, Next port of call for Barca will be the contract of Gavi. He is the important one. Uh, Jacob Ramsey has agreed to a new contract with Aston Villa until 2027. And The 20-year-old in his first season as a Premier League regular. did play a bit last year, but was mostly a squad player coming off the bench here and there. This season, he's established himself largely as a starter, and he has been very, very good. Uh, his younger brother, Aaron, is also meant to be an outstanding prospect. So exciting for Villa to have both of those. Villa, obviously, their academy has been very productive of late. Uh, Still questions over the future of Kearney Chukwemeka. We'll see what happens to him. But this is an ideal opportunity for Steven Gerrard to start making the most of these talented young players and seeing what he has. Because Villa's season is going to amount to just staying in the division and finishing in mid-table and and establishing themselves as a Premier League team which is absolutely fine. It's not what they set out to do, but when you change managers midway through a year, or in their case, in November, it does skew what your plans were and you obviously just have to adapt to your new situation. So for him, he should probably use uh, the remaining games in this Premier League season to decide who he wants to keep, which young players does he want to keep around next season. Villa have six games left, so... They're going to be fine. One more win, we'll see them absolutely safe. Um, And when you look at their fixtures, I mean, they play Burnley twice. They play Norwich at home next. Win that one. And then you can kind of experiment for the five games after that. You can play the young players, figure out if they're Premier League calibre now, or do they need more seasoning? Do they need to go on loan? What type of loan? Do they want to go to the championship? Is it a League One loan? maybe a loan to the Bundesliga or to France or to Portugal might suit them a bit better for the development. This is an important time for Villa to figure those things out. Um, and Ramsey signing on long-term is absolutely a sign that Gerard understands that this is a player with huge potential and Villa have committed probably significant resources to him because he only signed a new contract uh, back in January 2020. So he was already contracted for another two years after this. So they've made the early move to extend him and you'd imagine he'll have gotten a significant pay rise. He's one that other clubs would were probably starting to look at and think if he doesn't sign a new contract in the next year, maybe we can sneak him out of there. But there's commitment both sides and Ramsey stays. Uh, BBC have completed their Wonder Kids team and the final piece of the puzzle is Yusafa Makoko of Borussia Dortmund this kid has been hyped since he was 15 and he is a, he's a special goal scorer he absolutely is a special goal scorer it remains to be seen what happens to him at first team level but he's only 17 so there's no need to rush, there's no need to be in any way panicked if he has a couple of slow seasons. Uh, his talent is undeniable. So Etienne Green, Urian Timber, Keikai, Josco Gvardiol, Musiala, Gravenberch, Gavi with Florian Verts and Sulimana in what can only really be described as wing-back positions. Alvarez and Makoko up front. It bothers me that they didn't pick a full, at least one fullback. Like the, you could have picked one. You didn't need to pick. Like Florian Virts has never played in that role in his life. Neither has Suleimana. Suleimana could probably adapt to it. verts could not. Um, that bothers me. But look, other than that, we're all good. It's it's a good team. It's an exciting team. It shows the type of talent coming through. Um. Some of them are, are already really well-known. I think a lot of people know Jurian Timber from Ajax and Guardiol from Leipzig. Gravenbertsch is really well-known. Musiala is really well-known. Gavi, Florian Wirtz, they're really well-known. But the likes of Etienne Green, Keikai, uh, Sulimana, Alvarez and Makoko, I, I think it's worth having them in. Now, I don't know that Alvarez warrants that, we'll we'll wait and see uh, he's certainly a talented player, but you would think, based on what you see on social media, you, you would think this kid was the next Lionel Messi I mean he's done really well at River Plate this season, there's no doubt about it he has absolutely torn up the Argentine Premier League, not a Premier Division no question but it's one season, let's wait and see what this kid can do Let's wait and see if it's sustainable for them. I think they, the, the idea was, of this was to not look at the most obvious ones, and I, I think they could have done a slightly better job. Because Moosey Allen, Gravenberch and Gavi, and everybody knows who they are. They play for three of the biggest clubs, three of the biggest brands on the planet. Everybody knows who they are. You maybe could have looked elsewhere. You know, you could have picked a right-back, slotted Grady all in at left-back, where he has played. Timber and KK, that would have been fine. And then you could have gone Verts plus two in midfield, Alvarez, Mokoko and Suleymane up front. It would have been just as good. It would have been more interesting. We might have, you know, got some new players that people might not have been as as openly aware of. Uh, But such is life. Such is life. That is what it is. That is their team. Uh, Let's do the gossip and we're done. It is starting with Paris Saint-Germain are increasingly hopeful that Kylian Mbappe will sign a new deal after talks with his mother last week. Liverpool have made contact with Arlene Chouameni. David Ornstein told us this in January. I am hopeful more than confident, but hopeful. Hopeful that that deal can get done. Manchester United plan to open talks over a new contract with David De Gea. That is a sign, if it happens, for Dean Henderson to call his agent and say, get me anywhere else. United could make a move for Ivory Coast international Sebastian Haller. He's been really good at Ajax. He was not good at West Ham, but that was more on West Ham and how they used him. Donny van der Beek will be given a chance at United next season by Ten Hag. Everybody's known that. Gabriel Jesus has begun talks with Arsenal. Playing like a fella who wants to stay at City. That's all I'd say. Uh, Arsenal will have to pay £67.7 million pounds to sign Tammy Abraham. It's by Chris Wheatley, so it's it's absolutely, it's absolutely good news, or like real news. It's not some made-up figure. He's got the best sources at Arsenal. I think they're going to end up with one of Tammy or Calvert-Lewin. I, I don't think they're going to get a Darwin Nunez. I don't think they're going to get a Victor Asimian, uh, an Alexander Isak. I, I, I wouldn't pay the the asking price for Isak. I wouldn't. As good as Asimian is, I, I wouldn't pay 90 million for him. I just wouldn't because I don't think he's ever going to be worth more than that. So you've got no resale value at all. Um I think they'll buy either Tammy or Calvert Loon. I also think they're gonna to miss top four, and I think you could get they could get either of those without top four because they're Arsenal. They're Arsenal football club. They're still gonna be a big club, even without top four. So I think they can get Tammy or or Calvert Loon. Tammy's the better goal scorer. Calvert-Lewin might be the better all-round player. Both of them have big improvement needed in different areas of their game. I probably would go Tammy. I probably would go Tammy if it was me. calvert had the injury issue as well, and you would be worried about whether that's going to be something that recurs. Uh, Abraham has reiterated his desire to stay at Roma. That's from an Italian outlet. He's obviously not going to tell them, no, I want to go back to England. But I, I think if Arsenal came knocking, he probably would come back. But look, calvert Luton's still a really good player. And if they get him, they'll overpay for him because he's English. But it is what it is. He's a £40 million player who will cost 60 Uh, Jules Conde wants to leave Sevilla this summer and is keen on the move. I, I'd love to know how the Times um, knows the inner thinking of Jules Kunde. Like that. This is the type of thing that bothers me with with a lot of journalism. Is like I don't know who Tom Roddy is, but I'm guessing he's not speaking to Jules Kunde or Jules Kunde's people on a regular basis. Chelsea are keeping tabs on German defender Amos Piper, whose contract with Armenia Belfield runs out at the end of the season. This would be another Malang Sar type of signing, in my view. I don't think he's good enough to be starting for a team like Chelsea. I think, like Malang Sarr, you'd be buying him with the intention of keeping him for a year, maybe two, loan him out, get a bit of money off it, and then sell him. Newcastle are eyeing a move for Pierre-Emile Heussberg from the Express. You might as well wipe your backside with it. Eddie Howe's side are also pursuing Hugo Eketiki. That's one that's been regurgitated. There's also a link to Evan and Dicca. Ruben Neves is crazy about joining Barcelona, according to some Spanish outlet. Uh, There is optimism that Barcelona could sign Robert Lewandowski. Again, same Spanish outlet. Luca Modric is set to sign a new deal. That's been reported for months. Leeds will target a move for Brennan Johnson if they stay in the Premier League, and Nottingham Forest fail to earn promotion. He is going to be in the Premier League one we'll more in the next season, I think. Palace want him. Brentford want him now. Leeds, I'd imagine there'll be others. And if we get a situation where Forest don't come up, I, I think he is coming up regardless. Uh, Ashley Young is keen to extend his contract by another year I wouldn't do it because I, I, I just don't think he's been any good but Gerard probably will do it. Uh, Gerard seems to like him. Villa Aaron talks to sign Hart's 15 year old midfielder Ewan Simpson So many talented young players coming through in Scotland now and Premier League clubs are just snapping them up left right and centre uh, he's meant to be very, very talented, but is he better off staying where he is, where he's got a clearer path to the first team? Like Go to Villa, playing midfield at Villa is going to be a big ask for the next few years, but what we have seen is that Gerard and his team have clearly identified the Scottish market as one to pick up very promising young players. They've done it already this season. Um, they brought in Kerr Smith from Dundee, 17-year-old defender, was first choice at Dundee at 17, but has uh, has made the move to Villa to join their academy. Um it'll probably be the same type of deal for Simpson. And I don't think it'll be the last. There's a couple of very talented players at Rangers that I reckon Gerard will go back and try and sign this summer, one or two of them who actually decided to sign for Rangers because of him so keep an eye on that Uh, that'll do me for today folks I will see you all tomorrow, enjoy your evenings, bye bye Podcast Network.